Hey ladies and gents, and welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. Episode 220, I'm your host Jared Weich. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dominic Orlando. One does not simply catch them all, Jared. Not simply. Uh, believe me, I know. As somebody who's tried to complete the Pokédex on numerous occasions, it is not an easy feat. Um, yeah, so we had the Pokémon presentation this week. We had the PlayStation State of Play this week. We have plenty to get into. And some other news in the gaming landscape. Last week was a bit of a dry spell in terms of gaming news this week. There was so much that I had actually cut some things from the show and the rundown. Um, but we have plenty of stuff, plenty of interesting things to talk about, um, including Stadia, Dragon Age, Shovel Knight, and uh, some Sony stuff outside of the State of Play. I want to mention up front, we're not going to be covering the announcement of the playstation 5 vr unit that's going to be coming um we'll probably eventually talk about that when more news comes out about that but that was announced there was a whole interview with jim ryan where he talked about playstation games coming to pc god forbid uh among a lot of other things i guess the biggest note there and the thing we would have talked about the talked about the most was that he didn't mention god of war at all right he mentioned ratchet he mentioned horizon forbidden west as you know things they're looking forward to in 2021 but he didn't even utter the words god of war so it's not like either of us expected that game to come out, but that was kind of like the, the hidden gem in that interview. Um, but we're not going to be covering that stuff this week just because there's so much. And at this point, it'd be old news because it happened so early last week. Um, but like I said, when there's updates there, we'll eventually talk about that stuff, especially the VR, because there's a lot of um, talking points there. But let's hop into the rundown of Cookie News Dom. We're going to be starting off with more Stadia news. seems like every week we have something new to talk about regarding uh, this service that had a lot of potential but just didn't meet expectations. Um, Cecilia D uh, Anastasio, who you might be familiar with in terms of the gaming industry landscape for writing and journalism, uh, she put up a Wired piece recently uh, that's worth reading. I'll have the link in the description of the YouTube video. And it's talking about more Google Stadia issues. And the thing I wanted to mention here, she had a snippet in the tweet promoting her piece. And I wanted to read that to you, Dom, real quick. And if anybody's interested, go check out the full story because it's definitely worth a read, as most of the Stadia stuff is. But she said, quote, Sources say Google couldn't stomach the expensive and complicated creative process necessary to make games. Paired with Amazon, tech giants are absolutely struggling to develop first-party games. And then she goes on to say, you know, go read my article, yada, 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 which you should do. Really cool read. Um, but this is something we speculated on last week when we talked about how the Bethesda acquisition by Microsoft might have affected Google in some capacity, right, Dom? And how the bosses, especially Phil Harrison, were emailing their developers a week before they let him go saying, hey, you're doing a good job. How wild is it that these companies, these tech giants with so much money, are being shocked by the amount of money it takes to create a AAA game. Do they just not understand that, Dom? Especially somebody with Phil, Ser Phil Harrison who worked at Xbox and should understand the price of making quality AAA games. So was it was the quote around money or like just the complexity in the process that they weren't comfortable with? Quote, Google couldn't stomach the expensive and complicated creative process necessary. So both. Yeah, okay. You're right. Like, they should have known this was going to be expensive if they did any kind of research looking into this, right? Like, you could have figured that out, right? If you want to compete with, um, you know, especially the other first-party uh, publishers, like, that's, <laughs> you know, that's no small feat. And that's, I think, like, what, you know, that's more what, like, Microsoft is trying to, like, you know, 
be bigger in right now too. Like I have way more confidence in them, obviously. Um, and I think they're because they've been there before. Uh, but I think it's the complexity part of it. I think is like that's that's like tougher because Google has money, right? They could spend as much or as little as they want. Um, but there's like that that meme that goes around or just that saying of like it's like a miracle that any game ships at all. Um, and I think that's kind of probably what they're feeling at at Stadia or at that first party over there of like. It's just it, it's just hard. Like, and then some things you can't just throw money at until they're fixed. Um, and, and when you are also constrained by money, and then obviously time too. That's uh, that's tough. So I mean, I I wish I wish I was more surprised. You know, like we, I really wanted Stadia to to succeed and be great because I think that the technology was really cool. And I when I got to test it out back when they had their beta, I thought it worked. I was so impressed by how it worked, even. Um, and I don't have very the greatest internet either, but yeah, I mean, Google doing its thing like a lot of people predicted they would here. And to me, it reads as if from the top down, Google didn't really have a whole lot of I want, faith is the wrong word there, but skin in the game in terms of providing Stadia with all the resources it needed to just make it work. Because mm-hmm. if you remember a couple of years ago at this point, we had talked about how Phil Spencer, the big changing the big changing in the course of Xbox overall is when Phil went to Satya Nadella, head of Microsoft, and was like, hey, I have a vision for Xbox gaming, but I need the investment backing. Like, I need to be able to green light me being able to go out and make these purchases that'll make Xbox well-rounded. We need developers. We need services, like all of that stuff. Right. And Satya Nadella backed him 100%, and we've seen the yeah. fruits of that labor in terms of the acquisitions. We haven't necessarily seen the product yet because, like we mentioned, games take a, a lot of money and a lot of creative process to get their foot out the door. And we'll get into later in the quickie news, Sony's seeing some costs for focusing on these immaculate AAA experiences where something at the end of the day has to give, right? And with Xbox, they've kind of found a middle ground because of Xbox Game Pass where they can justify the budgets of smaller games that get put on that service because they're adding some value to the company. Whereas not everybody has that outlet. And despite Sony having you know PlayStation Now and all these other really good services for their games, it's not the same type of outlet that allows people to allocate resources to these smaller scope projects if they don't deliver, right? Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Google. It's wild to me. We talked about this last week with Phil Harrison that, you know, no offense to the guy personally, I'm pretty sure he's a swell dude, uh, maybe, but he, him going from Xbox to this and not letting anybody know that this is going to be extensive and troublesome and they're going to have issues and it's going to be expensive Um, one thing we're not even talking about this week is, uh, Amazon Luna lost their head and obviously he worked on other stuff besides Amazon Luna, but that streaming service hasn't even really gotten out of the beta stage and they're already shedding talent as well. And it is interesting to see, uh, once again, that these, no matter how much money these tech giants have, it doesn't mean things are going to work overnight. Right. Right. And it doesn't matter how good your product is. Like we talked about Stadia is a solid product. Did it matter? Cyberpunk ran best on the service. Didn't matter. I mean, we we don't give enough credit. Maybe at the time we did, but I was too young. But like, we don't give enough credit for how Microsoft was able to yeah. join this industry <laughs> when it was already pretty mature, right? Back with the original Xbox, like that was yeah. that was the same thing, right? Where like people must have had the same, you know, excitement, but a lot of concerns too. Like, really, Microsoft wants to do this? They're they're the you know they do Windows. Why would they make games, right? Um, but they were successful and they did it. Uh, 
right of course some stumbles along the way but like they were able to supplant themselves into the industry where like that's that's basic i mean i don't want to say impossible but it might as well be right if you're Close amazon to, if you're google yeah. <laughs> and you have and essentially unlimited resources and like in a growing industry and you can't do it you know then then who who can like what's the you know i don't know and there's an argument there, like maybe Xbox just had the right people. They hired the right people for the job, yeah. you know, and maybe Amazon and Google just haven't. And Amazon, it's a little early to tell what's going to happen with this. I don't want to lump it in exclusively with Google. But we also, also have to mention that when Xbox came onto the scene, it was off the hills of the recently uh, canceled consoles from Sega, right? Sega was a console developer, right. and then they got out of the game. And it's like, well, could anybody really compete with Nintendo and PlayStation? And Xbox is like, or Microsoft really is like, we'll try, and it worked somehow, which is wild. Yeah. So that was it, that was kind of their opportunity to seize on, right? And then Google saw that opportunity of like, oh, well, we'll get in via streaming technology, right? That's like how we're going to wedge our way in. Yeah. But, um, it didn't work, hasn't worked out great <laughs> so far, at least. And who knows, it might end up coming to the thing where, as Google often does, Stadia might not exist, but Stadia as a, a product might be used by other companies, right? Uh, and they could be profitable that way. Because at the end of the day, Google, I don't think they necessarily worry about the service itself. It's how can they sell that product and make it make them money at right. the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Xbox, this is actually a pretty good transition here. Uh, we have some Halo uh, sales numbers updates, which is pretty cool. Small little story, nothing too big, but the franchise has now sold more than 81 million copies worldwide, which is rather impressive. Outside of Call of Duty, it's not likely that a first-person shooter is going to see these type of numbers, right? Uh, I mean, 81 million as a franchise is up there in like the Hall of Fame echelon, regardless of genre. Uh, added to this news, too, I wanted to throw in that uh, 343 recently show, uh, shared new screenshots of Halo Infinite, and they're doing a good job of having these monthly updates to the game. Graphically, it seems like the game's looking better. And that's the cool thing with Halo Infinite being delayed, Dom, is to me, I've always thought that that game was feature complete in terms of the content that they're planning to launch with. And I've always felt, and obviously none of this is confirmed or anything, this is my own like opinion and thoughts. I thought that the backlash that they got from the graphical fidelity Maybe the year is to like graphically improve this game and make it feel next gen and figure out how they can make this game feel next gen when they do have to release the Xbox One version if they continue with that plan, right? Um, so I, I think that's cool. What do, uh, what do you think about specifically the sales numbers of it re- reaching 81 million copies? And then uh, you kind of nodded in acknowledgement of the screenshots. What do you think about those if you had a chance to check them out? The screenshots look really cool. Um, there were certainly no like, craig or anything like that um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that all i mean that also goes to show how silly that i mean yeah they they made it they went along with the joke so like which was smart um but it's kind of how silly that that ever was to begin with like yeah you could probably find a frame that, that isn't flattering um, exactly yeah whatever but yeah these on the other hand i'm sure that they went through like an extra vetting process before they put these out because they look stunning um but yeah i was trying to think of other examples of franchises like cumulative sales numbers that or like up there and into the 80 million territory. And I'm not, I don't, I mean, there's like grand theft auto, right? That's a big of one. Course. Call yeah. of duty, obviously Pokemon, obviously. Then you have anomalies like Tetris, which they count all the different forms of Tetris weirdly enough. Uh, but that's up there. Right. And it's kind of like one game really. And then you have like Minecraft, which is an anomaly. Um, it's, it's, it's rare. I mean, like I don't think any of Sony's franchises. No, that high. I think the closest one would maybe be Uncharted, and I don't even know if that's hit 40 million cumulatively. Yeah, 
Yeah. I don't think so. So I guess the I, only ones I would think about that had a chance were I could do some live Googling and find out, but I don't know, like the Assassin's Creed franchise's lifetime sales. Oh, that that's possible, and there's because there's a lot of those too. But it, the point being, like that's impressive as shit. Um, especially as we just mentioned, they've not been around. That franchise has not been around as long as some others. Probably, I guess the same as Assassin's Creed. But like, you know, like Zelda's been around way longer. Mario's been around way longer. I don't think Mario's had sold eighty million copies cumulatively. Maybe. Mm. I think so, yeah. I'll look that one up real quick, there. but just to mark, Assassin's Creed, $155 million, Shit, okay. Which is wild, yeah. <laughs> they got me on that. Um, but, like, it's kind of rare outside of, like, the annual sports franchises and the big boys. Right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it, it has to have uh, done because Super Mario Brothers, the original, sold 40 million copies on its own. Yeah, <laughs> so... Uh, it's up there <laughs> for sure. New Super Mario Brothers sold 30 million. So that's 70 mil between two games. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. That was silly for me to say. Never mind. Whoa. Oh my God. Uh, this is a loose Wikipedia thing, so it might not be wholly accurate, but so the Mario franchise total. So this is kind of spinoffs and everything. Okay. This might be a bit of inflated number. 670 million copies. Oh, that's every Mario game ever. So that's Dr. Mario. That's all of them. But they actually Me specifically... two minutes ago. <laughs> Mario might not have gotten to 80 million. <laughs> they specifically list just Super Mario titles, which is the ones we think about, right? The mainline, quote-unquote, Mario games. 354 million. Mm-hmm. You have to remember that Mario's... Uh, Super Mario's yeah. on, like, every handheld they do, and they'll sell, like, 100 yeah. mil a pop, and... Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to blame you too much for that. It was a spur-of-the-moment thing. <laughs> uh, but to the point... Halo is in Hall of Fame territory in terms of yes. sales numbers for a franchise. Definitely. And that's pretty impressive, especially, like we said, for the newest of the big three, right? Um, that's really dope. Uh, next up, this is just a small tidbit here that I thought was really cool because we don't see this type of stuff for indie games. Shovel Knight, yes, that Shovel Knight, is getting toys in kids' mills at Arby's soon. And I thought this was really cool. Like, we see, you know, the Pokemon 25th anniversary is happening now with the Pokemon cards at McDonald's, and you see these bigger franchises like Mario get toys at these fast food places, but when's the last time you heard about a property like Shovel Knight, Dom? I guess the only thing close would be, like, I think Cuphead had something, right, at a fast food place, like a Wendy's or something, Um, but this is really dope. Like, Shovel Knight deserves this. Obviously, the post-launch content that they had to deliver to meet the Kickstarter rewards kind of took them off of their direction of making a sequel. And from you, I want to know, Dom, A, do you think this is cool as cool as I think it is that an indie game is getting this kind of treatment from a fast food chain? And two, are we ever going to see a Shovel Knight follow-up, or do you think Yacht Club Games does something entirely different? Uh, no, this is, you're right. This is cool. Um, it, it makes me think like they're trying to... Because Shovel Knight is made to be, you know, it looks like an older game, right? Like a SNES... Uh, uh, time game right um which catered to a lot of people like our age or a little bit older right so i'm wondering if like this is like a, a, you know one way they're trying to break into like a younger market demographic a little bit. yeah exactly um so like you know a lot of kids nowadays are busy playing Fortnite, and they they might see like what is this pixelated weird shit i don't want to play this old game when they see shovel knight um which is of course absurd because it's a great game um, but if they get the toy right from a fast food mill, they're like, oh, this little night guy's cool. Where is it from? I, exactly. Yeah. I think they did an amiibo a while back. So probably yeah. similar thing there. But um, 
yeah i think it's cool it's, it's super cool um arby's food is garbage but um <laughs> that's beside the point um the fries are good actually i should have said that anyway um as far as a sequel i don't know that's it i wish i knew more about that though because you're you reminded me about yeah they had so many commitments um from the kickstarter it seemed like everything they put out was like chunks of expansions and it was like campaigns like from a new perspective right like playing as some of the other right. knights and stuff yeah yeah and it, it felt just like that like kickstarter extensions basically um so i don't know i don't know if um if that ip like is big enough for them to want to continue uh, and do like a bigger full-on sequel or if or they're burned even... out for the time being right like doing all that, that extra content right or is like is their sequel something kind of new entirely do they take shovel knight into a three-dimensional game i don't know that sounds it seems crazy to me but um you know they might want to do something a little different a little more creative while still using shovel knight i think it's possible i think it'd be cool if they partnered with maybe a, a different indie studio and we're like we've kind of done a lot with shovel knight we're kind of burnt out on it we trust you guys in your creative vision let show us what you could do with shovel knight you know what pairing i would love i would love to see moon studios do a shovel knight game mm-hmm. taking that into the modern era going from the classic bit style uh of art into the beautiful and gorgeous landscapes and vistas that you see in the background and the parallaxing movement of like ori i think that'd be pretty cool um just a neat little thing uh to admit your arby's comment about it it being trash (laughs) i have no fight in that argument because the only Uh, thing i've ever eaten from arby's are the roast beef and cheddar sandwiches and i really like those but outside of that, I haven't literally tried anything. I don't even know what their fries taste like. I've never had any of their stuff. So I can't really argue against you whether or not it's trash. But I will say you're on the, I think you're on the majority side of things. Because when I was reading some stuff involved in this, people, the <laughs> the general consensus was awesome for Shovel Knight. I'm throwing away the kids meal and keeping the toy. Essentially, <laughs> most people are saying. I didn't even know Arby's had kids meals. I know it sounds dumb. It's like it's a fast food yeah. place. Of course, it had kids meals. I don't think I've ever seen a kid inside of an Arby's. <laughs> yeah, so. like they—they're not known for like the play places and stuff, like the McDonald's yeah. and that. Um, now it just feels like the fries are like the gold standard, actually, kind of of the curly fry. Um, yeah, with that seasoning, like they're pretty good, and and they're like they're they're Ar- We should probably move on before I, I'm going to go into a whole diatribe on Arby's. <laughs> okay, uh, next up, something I'm super excited for. Outside of video games, I mean, if the Bears get a quarterback, this might be one of the best years for Jared as a fan of things because we got the Mass Effect trilogy. There's a recent thing that they're working on the script. Neil Bloomkamp's working on the script for District 10, which would be the sequel to District 9, which is one of my favorite sci-fi films of all time. forgot about that uh, movie. It's so good. Yeah, and it deserves a sequel because of the way it ended. So uh, now we have some news about Dragon Age 4's development for a couple of things. The thing that isn't the focus of what I'm about to say is that Anthem Next got canceled, right? So now they're going to be, Bioware's going to be focusing on their other projects, which we know of, which are Dragon Age 4 and the next Mass Effect, which we can presume is called Mass Effect 4. Um, But here's some other news related to Dragon Age 4. Reported by Jason Schreier, King of the Journos, following the success of Jedi Fallen Order and the failure of Anthem, EA has allowed Bioware to make the next Dragon Age a single-player RPG. Previously, if you didn't know, it was planned as a service game. Right off the top, Dom, how does this news make you feel? I was out of the loop because I didn't know it was planned as a service game. Um, guess I missed that. So, But that's all right because I just would have been bummed out, so now it's only happiness. 
So I think we both, we had this conversation like maybe, what was it, two or three weeks ago of like, they've got to be able to see this, right? That their single player games are just more successful, right? Like they they must be able to see that. And then a couple of weeks later, here we are, Jared and Tom were right. Um, <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> and, I, and I feel like that's worth pointing out because like we're always like speculating on what, you know, what these bigger companies like are trying to do and why and stuff. And this feels like, yeah. well, yeah, duh, EA, right? Like it finally feels like a little bit of vindication. Like, can you find you finally seeing it through the right lens? Um, but anyway, uh, heck yeah, dude. I mean, Fallen Order was great. I'm glad that we did our part there. And <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because um, that was a great game. And and I, I don't, it's not to say that like they have to be all on one side or the other, but because um, obviously like they're, they've done well with, uh, can't remember Respawn's Battle Royale game, the name of it. Apex Big Legends. Deal. Doing really Apex good. Legends. Yeah. Yeah. Like that does really well for them, right? And like, they, of course, they're going to still have some like service based games, but um, this is, this makes me feel good inside and makes me have some faith in an EA, but especially in Bioware. Know that, you know, Dragon Age 4, we're, we're just, we're going hard on a single player RPG and certainly Mass Effect four or whatever that's called same kind of thing we don't have any hesitations uh, there of course respawn saving gaming once again as they always do <laughs> in one way or another two things i wanted to point out Vince. uh one making dragon age a live service game is kind of the antithesis of what bioware rpgs should be because they're based on decision making and telling a very unique and customized story to the person playing it so it feels like it's your story you're playing and making that a live service game kind of takes away that player agency and two i think oftentimes we get lost in this thought of well ea wanted it to be a service game and bioware wanted it to be a single player game and they're at odds with one another and jason trier posted in this thread talking about how there's a fair number of people at bioware that were excited to make a live service dragon age game like they thought that it was a interesting challenge to do that and I think they're justified in that because at the end of the day, you could feel one way or another about what Dragon Age should be, but I'm all for creative liberty and trying to deliver yeah. the vision you want. Definitely. So I do think we need to keep that in mind when we talk about, oh, well, EA is forcing Bioware to do these things they don't want to do when that isn't always necessarily the case. Obviously, that can be the case for some points, like the forcing them to use a Frostbite engine and stuff like that. I totally get that perspective, but we can't always feel as if the developers are out of control and they're not the ones that want this at least part of them, you know? I thought that was an interesting tidbit that Jason Trier threw in there, but yeah, a win. You know, Ben Moore from Easy Allies often makes this joke about, oh, that's a win for anime. This is a win for Bioware. This is a win for RPGs. Uh, and, you know, who know, we, we might eventually get a Mass Effect or Dragon Age anime, so it might be a win for anime at that point, too. Who knows? I mean, uh, we just... What, what was the last big Western RPG, right? I mean, the Cyberpunk. Obviously, it was made in the east but like it's of that style of action rpg right um, yeah witcher like, was after skyrim was yeah. fallout 4 after witcher i think it was the same year i think they were 2015 yeah and then obviously so fallout 76 was a live service game yeah. uh all the souls born games are are japanese developed obviously uh zelda japanese developed I think the closest thing would be like the Assassin's Creed games recently and Cyberpunk, right? I guess. It just seemed like we were in that era when we were getting Fallout 3, New Vegas, Mass Effect 1, 2, 3. 
Elder um, Scrolls. Elder Scrolls were coming out like like the Xbox 360 generation like was hot on these big open world Western RPGs, and we haven't we didn't have that so much in uh, the PS4 Xbox One generation. So I'm hoping that that makes a resurgence. Well, with Xbox buying all these RPG studios, that might Xbox might be the place for Western RPGs moving forward between uh, Bethesda yes. and Obsidian. Uh, you know, Outer Worlds wasn't huge, but that might be the one we could throw in that mix yes. too. Uh, that's why that's we were so scope. pumped. Yeah, we were so pumped for that game because it had been a minute. We we're like, yeah, what the heck? Especially off the hills of Fallout 76. Yikes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So next up, before we get into the two big presentations, I want to talk about the Sony developer news. So according to Video Games Chronicle, Sony is winding down original game development at Japan Studio. They're responsible for Gravity Rush as well as working as a, a studio on plenty of other games that people love, mostly Japanese-developed RPGs. Uh, this is because Japan Studio hasn't been profitable enough in recent years. Japan Studio winding down has also to do with PlayStation shifting its power from Japan to the U.S. Several Japan Studio developers have announced their departures this week, among them Bloodborne producer Masaki Yamagiwa. So, I guess the last thing I want to throw in is the Sobi team, who are the people who made Astrobot, are unaffected by all of this, and they will continue as a standalone studio. And some of the remaining Japan Studio staff will switch over to a Sobi team. Obviously not all of them, but some of the members. This is tough. We talked about this earlier, Dom, with Microsoft having Game Pass and being able to justify games that maybe aren't profitable. Like uh, Ninja Theory, for instance, right? Uh, what was the multiplayer game they recently had that that released to no fanfare and then they kind of stopped development on it? Grounded? Bleeding Edge? Bleeding, Bleeding Edge. Edge. Right? If they were independent and they released that and it flopped, we could have seen Ninja Theory shutter entirely, right? They could not exist. We couldn't have gotten Hellblade 2. But because of Microsoft's backing, Microsoft was like, yeah, sure, release that on Game Pass, see how it does, whatever, um, you know, but they're still working on Hellblade 2, and it was no big deal. We're seeing with Japan Studios, talented as the studio is, it's not seeing the sales that Sony would like from it, and it's not entirely Japan Studios' fault, because they do make games in niche genres, but also, Sony's in a place now where they're focused on these AAA, blockbuster, jaw-dropping, high-quality games and Japan Studio hasn't been given either the resources or doesn't have the full-on talent to do something like that, and they're kind of paying for that now on the back end, which is kind of a bummer. I guess I just want to hear from you. What do you think about the you know the closure of Japan Studio, at least maybe not necessarily the full-on closure, but the adjustment of the studio and how you think this could possibly, you know, the transfer of, of uh, power from Japan to the U.S., how could that affect Sony moving forward? since they do have such a legacy with Japanese developers and games. Yeah, because we, we heard some weird things about Sony like months ago or, or was a year ago about like the internal politics they have at play between like Europe and the other regions and things like that. Um, and it, we don't know exactly like, you know, some of the, the, the juicy details about that stuff. But yeah, you wonder if like how much of that's going on here. Um, I don't, I, it doesn't make me question like, sony's relationships with other japanese developers and like that kind of thing they have some strong like like we can talk about final fantasy 7 remake right and it's like certain other square games and certain things like that sony just appears to own even though they don't own those studios or yeah i mean why isn't persona on other platforms like things like that where it's like sony clearly still has like really good relationships with a lot of other um developers especially japanese ones right but i think like i think your analysis of like the size and what uh, Sony Japan was putting out kind of like just didn't fit in apparently with uh, with 
PlayStation's portfolio where like, yep, they're their first party studios they're kind of like not so much consolidating necessarily they've had some a few closures the past couple of years um but yeah they're focusing on bigger triple a games and then they're they're it seems like they're utilizing partner studios um for some of those you know double a you know smaller scope games right like your your bug snacks and yeah um things like that where they don't own it, it may it may only be like a time exclusive which will get eternal yeah yeah stuff like that is kind of how they're getting that content um for their, you know, for, for that tier of game. I hate category, categorizing things like that, but you know what I mean. Everyone knows what I mean, right? Yeah. So, yeah. It's a bummer it's... that, like, some folks, like, are kind of, like, leaving, though. Like, you don't want that, especially when it's, like, oh, a producer from Bloodborne. Like, like the fucking, like, Bloodborne? Come on. Yeah. Bloodborne. The lead producer. And that's the thing, too, that's interesting is, I wonder if uh, Masaki Yamigawa, uh, Yamigiwa... I would love to see him end up at uh, from software, right? Because he obviously has a working relationship with them to some extent, and Bloodborne was a success. And you're not simply a producer on a game and don't have some effect on on it, right? And I wonder if maybe this to me, and obviously this is total hearsay. This kind of closes the door for me on Bloodborne two anytime soon. Um, not specifically just because of his departure, but their focus from you know Japan to the U.S. Japan Studio is obviously a huge part in that whole Bloodborne development. And currently, we don't know what's going on with Elden Ring in terms of when it's going to release. We know it's in development. It hasn't been canceled or anything. But, yeah, I just think that this is a bummer, especially considering the state of play we're getting into later. A lot of people are anticipating a Bloodborne update to give it 60 FPS on the PS5. And maybe that's not of importance to Sony right now either. It's just a bummer. Um, and... Like I said, this might be a side effect of Sony not having a Game Pass style service because if they did, they could justify Japan Studios' work. And I know a lot of people who love Gravity Rush. And now, does Gravity Rush disappear as a franchise? Do they license it out to a studio they don't own, right, and don't not have to worry about how much it sells? We'll see. It just it's it's a bummer whenever this happens. So, at least a Sobe team is together because they've done excellent work with Astrobot. At least there's the some sort so of silver lining. Yeah. Uh, next up, let's get to these presentations. We'll start with the, the Pokemon one, and then we'll go to the state of play. So for the 25th anniversary Pokemon presentation, during the brisk uh, presentation, uh, it started with the chronological nostalgia-fueled intro looking at the history of Pokemon and the products it released. We talked about this before the show started. It was incredible. Uh, as somebody who's highly connected to Pokemon and super nostalgic, I loved every moment of it. And you, who's not as connected to Pokemon, said you enjoyed it as well, right? It was really cool. Um, even like you know, about halfway through or or a third of the way through, I started not recognizing any of it. But um, yeah, um, it was it was super cool, and especially um, I mean, really well edited and put together, and you know, it hit all the right notes. But um, you also like learned a lot a lot about like all the different products that existed that I had no idea about, right? Like all the different weird link systems and that they had throughout the years. Um, the different like. They had like a motion wand and different things. I'm like, what in the hell was that? I didn't even know that this was a thing, right? Um, and some of those like varying degrees of success, I, I assume. But um, then when it jumps into like Pokemon Go, it was kind of like a, oh man, yeah. Yeah, a, a cultural reset for Pokemon. Yeah. It was, I think one thing that gets lost on people too is the amount of effort that had to go into this because you see all oh, these yeah. products and everything and it's like, oh yeah, they just grabbed a bunch of stuff out of the closet. It's like, no, they had to if they had the products that they saved in like a legacy style collection that this, that game freak or the Pokemon company has, 
not only did they have to find and see if they had the product on hand, they had to go and clean it up for a marketing video, right? Get a TV to plug into or whatever. Exactly. Uh, On top of the stuff they didn't have, they had to make reproduction of it. So they had to like find the dimension of the original product or the design elements and then recreate it themselves. So there's a lot of effort that went into that in both finding the product, recreating the product and cleaning the product. So it's presentable on screen on top of uh, sampling all of the music and the, the vocals and all that. It's, it's wild that they went through that much effort, but it's really cool to see. And we're not going to talk about this moving forward as we go through the event, but it is a shame Dom that Pokemon is showing more care towards their 25th anniversary than we've seen Nintendo do with both super Mario and the legend of Zelda. And Legend of Zelda is a little bit more of an open door. Like, we don't know what they're going to do for the rest of the year. So I kind of want to hold pause on how much effort they're putting into that. We know Skyward Sword HD. But with Super Mario, it's pretty much an open and closed door of the three-game collection that's disappearing in March that were simple ports. Um, Do you feel me on that? That it it is kind of a bummer that Pokemon's putting more effort into their anniversary celebration as as far as it seems than Nintendo is? Yeah, it, it it gets it just had such a cooler vibe than anything that we saw with Mario's anniversary, and and maybe this is kind of a little you know to some extent in response to that, right? Where like they saw the yeah. the kind of poor you know reaction to the Mario stuff of like people kind of saying like I mean yeah these ports are kind of mediocre, and you guys don't seem to care that much about the anniversary. Like we you know the, the consumers cared, and we thought it would be way more fun and like like we wanted more and so maybe this is a bit of a reaction to that too uh, probably most of it was already like in progress because like you said you're just getting this stuff to make this video is can be time can resource consuming but yeah it's hopefully um hopefully there's more on the zelda side this year that they that they do man imagine how dope and how hype it would have been to see a legacy intro like that for legend of zelda or super mario right i would be like a puddle of just nostalgia it, yeah and Legend of Zelda wasn't uh, put into as many other like non-gaming products, but I mm-hmm. still think that would have been dope with all of the you know the evolution of the game series. And then Super Mario, obviously, you have so much to call on the arcade cabinets, all of that. And it's just a shame, man, because they're two of gaming's biggest, most iconic franchises alongside Pokemon. And to have such a direct correlation between Pokemon and those two and the efforts put in is a real bummer. Um, but let's get into this Pokemon stuff first up. They had the new Pokemon Snap trailer. This was a new trailer showcasing characters, Pokemon interactions, such as throwing the fruit, this new like glowing ball that when you throw it at a Pokemon, not only does it make them illuminate, but they showed a fire Pokemon, Bunny, that when you throw it and hit it with this ball, it changes the color of the flames it produces, which is pretty dope. So it went from like typical red flames to like these hot burning blue flames. And there was a photo editing mode an online photo submission mode where you can submit your pictures to this online mode inside the game and people can rate them. And it's like a little mini social media thing for Pokemon snap, which I think is a a clever idea. And as poor as Nintendo's online infrastructure is uploading photos, isn't as intensive as a, a live multiplayer game. So I think it could work really well. And uh, they obviously explain the photo grading for Pokemon snap where it's like, if you capture multiple multiple Pokemon on the same image, if it's doing a special like move or something, you get more points for it. I'm excited for this game. We talked about before, Dom. I do not expect this game to be a 10. I'm I'm thinking it's going to be a 7 at best, an 8. But that's all I want it to be, and I cannot wait. I've waited for this game for so long. 
And what a great, great reward for the 25th anniversary, bringing back this game that people have wanted a sequel to forever. People, since the 64, people have wanted a sequel to Pokemon Snap. They really wanted it on the Wii U because it made total sense with the gamepad. It made as much sense on the Nintendo Switch, and we're getting it, and God, I cannot wait for this game, Dom. Yeah, I think it, I think it looks pretty cool. Probably not going to be something for me, but... um. I like seeing the Pokemon running around in like a natural <laughs> yeah. habitat. Like that's like we haven't really seen. I think in the newer games they start to like visualize them more um, than traditional games. But like normally it's like yeah, I mean you're like in the tall grass, right? You don't actually see it. See a Pokemon walking around doing its thing, whatever they do, right? Well, not yet, anyways. Which we'll get to shortly. Yeah, uh, good not, point. Yeah. <clears throat> um, the I don't know. It just like I said, this game isn't going to be mind blowing or innovative by any means, but it's something people have wanted and. It continues, Dom, the year of Jared, I'm telling you. This game comes out in April, right? April 20th. About three weeks later, on May 14th, we get the Mass Effect trilogy. I'm going to be living my best life this year, Dom, and I cannot wait. Uh, Speaking of my best life this year, we got the announcement of the long-rumored Gen 4 remakes, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and and Shining... Wait, did I write this down wrong? Pearl. Shining Pearl, correct, yes. I wrote down Diamond twice. Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. Authentic remakes to the Gen 4 Classics. The reason I wanted to point that out is because people were assuming it was possibly going to be a 3D remake similar to Pokemon Sword and Shield, but it's actually a lot more uh, authentic to the the tile-based grid of the classic Pokemon games. It has a new, what I describe as Chibi slash Link's Awakening-ish art style to it. Maybe not as glossy as Link's Awakening, but in the similar vein. Uh, the cool thing I like about it, Dom, is in the overworld, the character models are the little chibi, like, weird uh, shapes. But when you get into battle, they're, like, normal human sizes, which I like. I think seeing the weird-shaped people in the battles would have been a little bit off-putting. Coming later in 2021, the art style seems to be the most divisive, but I do see people that are happy no matter what, that they kind of stuck to the more traditional look of the game and kind of just spruced up the graphics. And I think this was for a reason, and it was intentionally done, Dom, for the third announcement they make, because this, I don't want to say low effort, because that makes it seem like they were lazy, but it's hard to argue the fact that doing a remake like this is easier for developers than turning it into a 3D game at this point, right? Yeah, I I agree. Like this is <clears throat> yeah, probably I guess an easier route, but um I think it's also like the better route. Um for one, like let's do something like you really you really want them to be remade and look exactly like Sword and Shield? Like people want that? I guess so, but to me I'm like I I like the approach that we learned about, you know, last year or uh, 2019 with Link's Awakening. We're like, yeah, remake it, but you know, make it its own thing still. Like what would that game have been looked like if it had been made, you know, from that, at that time? You you know what I mean? Like, if, if they could make it, you could ask the people, the developers, from the, when they made that original game, what they wanted it to look like if the technology was of no limitation. I feel like, you know, this is that, um, or, like, less limitation on technology. But, yeah. I don't know. I think it's cooler. It's different. It's, I, I would have been, like, pretty, I think, lame if it looked exactly like Sword and Shield. And then, yeah, it probably would have been a lot more work for them, too. 
And they want to differentiate too because they don't want people to play a 3D Pokemon game in fall and then early in 2022 play another 3D game. And you're running, Jared, another 3D game? Why would Pokemon release another Pokemon game so soon? This was the wild reveal. This is honestly, I think, the, the, the most wild reveal we got out of the state of play, the Pokemon presentation, or the Nintendo Direct. Because this is something no one really saw coming. And that's Pokemon Legends Arceus which is a seemingly open-world action RPG taking place in ancient Sinnoh, yes, the same region as uh, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. It's focused on completing the first-ever Pokédex. Uh, contrary to the Sinnoh region starters, which are... God, let me use my Pokémon brain real quick. Chimchar, Turtwig, and Piplup. Uh, this one is going to have Rowlet, Cyndaquil, and Oshawa, which are all from various uh, regions, and you're wondering why is that the case. Uh, the narrative explains that there's a professor that has been traveling the world and you meet him and he lets you choose one of the three starters. Uh, Cyndaquil, boys for life, right, Dom? Uh, I do love Rowlet, but Cyndaquil is really dope. And obviously, Johto is more nostalgic to me than the Lowland Islands, which are rather new. Coming early 2022, they showcased, the. Uh, to, to preface everything, the game looked kind of rough that performance-wise. Some frame rate stutters, the, the actual... Uh, graphic fidelity wasn't all that great to me it's like it's early development and i'm assuming we're going to get this on better hardware eventually so that didn't really irk me too much it's the focus on something new for the series something that people have been yearning about on the internet forever dom which is an open world pokemon game there were instances so i went and rewatched the trailer again because we had this conversation where you told me i'm a little confused they said action rpg but it's still the same turn-based combat system and i told you well, they said you can use the turn-based combat system, and it's unclear if that's a choice of words to let people know it's an option, or if it was just phrasing that you can interpret in a, a wrong way. I went and rewatched the trailer, Dom, and it's hard to tell because it could totally be edited in terms of the HUD for the trailer, but it does seem like there may be some type of auto battle system or quick battle system where... You don't have the menus pop up where you're doing a traditional Pokemon game where the Lucario, it was either Lucario or Riolu, the pre-evolution, was fighting and there was no prompts on screen, right? Whereas we saw another one where there were prompts on screen when it attacked. So who knows how it's going to turn out, but the idea of exploring an open world and catching Pokemon is dope, Dom. Another thing to point out, the first thing we see in this game is a trainer trying to catch a Pokemon without battling it which is something you can't do in traditional Pokemon games. Like, remember, the girl throws out a Pokeball, and she tries to catch the... I think it was like a Piplup or something. Uh, and that's the other cool thing. You can choose a male or female character. I, I don't know. I, I have a lot to say about this game that we'll probably cover later on when we get more information as it's coming in early 22. But for you, somebody who's not wholly attached to uh, Pokemon, did you get the Breath of the Wild vibes to some extent? And how do you feel about this in terms of offering a new experience for Pokemon fans and people who want to get into Pokemon. Yeah, I was a, a bit more interested here because this, yeah, it felt, it felt new. It felt like they're, you know, more of a revolution to the series than the smaller evolutions they've been doing, right? Um, so yeah, the comparisons to, to Breath of the Wild, I guess, because um, visually it looks kind of similar, right? Like a big old... They had the same opening area. shot of like it zooming in on the player standing yeah. over a Vista, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then also, like, the similarities extend into, like, oh, like, we're, like, pretty drastically changing the structure or, and or the gameplay of, of the series with this one, right? I think that's, um, I think that's what's exciting. It's like, that doesn't mean it's going to work, of course. Um, it might not, it might not work that well, but 
um, I'm definitely like curious to see like what they're trying to do here and how this turns out. Like you said, it looked a little rough, um, little choppy. Even that 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 section where it showed the pokeball getting thrown, I was like, something just looks a little weird, little uh, um, I don't know, little animatronic or something going on with it. But it, I think you're like, yeah, it's it's got a long way to go still. So I I assume a lot of that's gonna get polished out. Um, so I'm not really actually worried about that. But I'm excited to see uh, what they do here. Something different and not different in what they did with like let's go or pokemon go where it was a simplification like this seems like uh, a different a, direction maybe a different direction like a um a revolution like this is a new thing like we're taking this series in a new direction that's just more exciting for this series for the series yeah and a couple of things i want to point out one you can't wish for innovation from developers and not be okay with growing pains right like right this is something new for game freak they're not going to nail it right away because they've had mm-hmm. 20 plus years of doing similar style games. So of course they've refined that. Whereas this is something entirely different, not giving them an excuse necessarily, but understand where they're coming from Two, I love that it's taking place in feudal, like Japan, like ancient timing. Like I love the yeah. timing mm-hmm. and I love that the, the items that we've seen so far reflect the time. Like these are like first gen pokeballs where I, I, they're like bo- the bottom half of it is made out of wood and there's like a hole on the top that releases steam. So these are like the first Pokeballs as they're working towards making them, uh, which is really cool. It's not like a high-tech Pokeball from the future and using it in the past, which I thought was dope. And the whole idea of building the first Pokedex, traversing this world for the first time. I wonder if this game is also going to be where we see how gyms are formed, Dom, and how gym leaders are made. And like the Elite Four and like the basic building foundations for what we know as Pokemon games now. And we get to see the creation of that from a time past. Uh, RC is being a subtitle for the game. I would love in the future. If we get Pokemon legends, Mew, which would be dope. People are like, Oh, Pokemon legends, Mewtwo canonically. That was a science experiment that happened in modern times for Mewtwo to exist. So it would make more sense if it was Mew, right? Cause that's the one that existed and is a legendary creature or even like Pokemon legends, Lugia, where you go back in time, like an ancient Kanto and ancient Johto would be dope. Um, and another thing to point out, because these companies are highly detailed in the way they market these things and create assets, is that, and you know the Pokemon logo, Dom. Everyone knows the Pokemon logo. It's very iconic. It's the yellow text with the white border and then the blue border outside of the white border is the stroke on the text. They really never change that, even with the spinoff game, still has the same logo. This one is uh, the po- the word Pokemon in green, which is, it may sound like, oh, what? who cares? Why are you focusing on a logo color so much? But that is important when it comes to these franchises and these companies that that was intentional. Like whether that means that they want that to stand out at its own. So when people see the green Pokemon logo, they know it's this, right? They know it's this type of experience. It's just a little thing I wanted to mention, a little detail, which I thought was pretty interesting because... Yeah, like the mystery dungeon and all of them, they still keep the same Pokemon logo. So it's definitely intentional. I think you're onto it. Yeah. And Pokemon Legends, such a cool just base name for a series. Just adding any legendary Pokemon after that. Pokemon Legends just sounds dope. Um, With that out of the way, all of that really cool Pokemon news, let's get to the state of play. Uh, Happened on uh, February 24th. So when you're releasing a new state of play with plenty of expectations set beforehand, like letting us know... 10 games being shown, some new ones, mostly game deep dives, gameplay deep dives. Uh, let's look at the events. Top five noteworthy headlines, Dom. I wrote these up. So we're not covering literally everything in the show, but the five things that I thought were noteworthy. First up, the new gameplay. 
There was four games of note that showed new gameplay, this being Deathloop, Returnal, Knockout City, and Solar Ash. What I will say is I think all these games did a good job in selling people who weren't sold on these games beforehand. Mm-hmm. I'll say mine after you, Dom, but out of these four games, I'll say them again for you, Deathloop, Returnal, Knockout City, and Solar Ash, which two of the four impressed you the most after you saw their gameplay? Uh, I think Deathloop, because I was... Uh... I think we're all like a little hesitant on it th- yeah. thus far, um, but it looked cool. It looked cool as shit. I felt like, oh, this is, this really is, you know, dishonored um, with a cool twist, but it's got that same feel, um, that same kind of craziness going on um, with the different <clears throat> weapons and devices available and powers available to you. Like, um, this this looks pretty cool. I of course afterwards went and listened to like a developer interview where they talked about the the time loop mechanic and it started to make more sense to me and I'm like oh, okay like I'm starting to be like more hyped on this game and this the trailer from the state of play I think did a good job <clears throat> of doing just that um and then another one for me was was Returnal um which had looked cool back in the presentation last year but the gameplay now that we're seeing more of it really like similar kind of thing like it just it looked tight it looked like fun and energetic and um. I'm I'm still like I'm not the biggest like you know start over um, roguelite kind of person, um, so I want to I'm curious about exactly how that's gonna work um, in this game. We'll see, but as far as like that core gameplay, it looked like hectic and fun and really cool. Yeah, so I'm with you. I think Returnal was the most surprising because it was the game I was the most quote unquote out on because I just didn't know what the game was gonna be necessarily. And that gameplay sold me. It was like equal parts Hades, equal parts control in many ways. Yeah. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. The dash mechanic looked dope. And what I will say is Housemark is obviously a studio known for incredible arcade games. And they had to move away from that because they weren't selling well. And some people may think this is a departure from their, their uh, kind of core development ideologies. But if you watch that trailer again, it's an arcade game in third person, in like modern yeah. third person. Like it's, it's entirely an arcade game. The the power ups, the movement, the way you shoot around. It, if if you were just to move the camera and make it top down, it would feel and look probably like a classic Housemark game. And I think that's really clever on their part because I don't necessarily think they moved away from arcade as much as they want everyone to think they did. I think they just changed the perspective and up the budget. <laughs> and it's yeah. pretty much the mm-hmm. same core there that people want from a house mark game. And I hope the game does well because that studio is so talented and they deserve a win at some point because they do make good stuff. It just has been in a, a genre that doesn't sell very well. And for me, it's hard to decide between Deathloop and Knockout City. I agree with you. Deathloop did look good. That James Bond style song was incredible. Such yeah. a good move. I would argue that this is the best trailer they've had throughout the whole thing easily they showed off the kinetic movement of the gameplay they showed off the weapon variety um still a little confused about the uh asymmetrical multiplayer i still don't fully understand like is it an invasion style system like in dark souls where they can come around sometimes is it active multiplayer whenever whenever you play it there is always another player playing Uh, is it i don't know it's it's very interesting there I want to give the nod to Knockout City, though, because that out of these four games was a game most people were low on because it had that terrible trailer at the Nintendo Direct that was like fake video game players, uh, video game characters playing the video game, and it just didn't really show well. Whereas this trailer showed 
the novelty of this dodgeball game where you actually the skill based where you have to catch the ball you can fake out players by not throwing it you can throw it in different directions there's different power-ups you can get it looks like a fun time uh, i will say that i think the price point and release date for this game will be huge for it because if it can have a decent price point at release and release at a time in which not a lot of other big multiplayer games are coming out. It has a chance to be relevant for a little bit because I do think the core of that gameplay looks fun. Uh, and like I said, it just it was starting at the lowest point. Like we were on Deathloop, people were like out on Knockout City. People were like, "Get yeah. that game out of here! It looks awful. What is this weird game uh, with a terrible commercial um, and trailer?" But yeah, I think. All of them showed off really well, too. Shout out to Solar Ash, obviously the spiritual successor to Hyperlight Drifter, which a lot of people love. Next up, we got Sifu, which is this really dope melee martial arts combat game that looked like it was straight out of Daredevil Season 3's hallway yeah. scene. And it's a melee combat game. And two things that I found out after the fact, Dom, were really cool. So it's being developed by Slow Clap. And that's a development studio that people probably don't recognize the name of. But watching this, the first thing that came to mind to me was like, this melee combat looks like Absolver. Like, it reminds me a lot of Absolver. Yeah, Turns out, that. Slow Clap, developer of Absolver. <laughs> so they made Absolver, then they made this game. Uh, obviously, Absolver had a really weird, like, ancient, faceless character design. And this seems obviously like something that they want to capture an audience with. And the, re the other cool thing is in the trailer, if you notice, the first time he gets a knocked out Dom... He grows a beard and wakes up, and you're like, wow, he must have been knocked out for a long time. That's weird because the bodies are still there behind him that he knocked out. How does this make any sense? And throughout the trailer, he gets older and older, and it seems like, okay, is this story just taking place over the course of time, and you're like living out this martial arts master's life? Well, no. It turns out so it's a revenge tale of him finding the people who killed his family. But the mechanic in this game, Dom, is that every time you die, you age slightly. So I wonder if it's like you only have a set amount of times you can die before you get game over permanently. So it's kind of like you have like four lives before you actually have to restart from the beginning, which I thought would be interesting. It's just a cool mechanic of him aging when he dies. Um, Remember when like uh, we were talking about Hellblade, the first game before it came out and like they had a similar mechanic. Like every time you died, like this rot like grew a little bit on you and eventually it would take over. You have to start all over or something and like, it was like a whole ordeal oh like, yeah i forgot about that yeah yeah it became a huge conversation it ended up being not that big of a mechanic or big a deal as people talked about but that, that kind of sounds like this like every time you, you age until eventually like what like age out or something i don't know you age to death yeah yeah look cool though looked very kinetic once again mm -hmm. just like with knockout city i think if this is gonna have a a good price point i could totally see this being part of that playstation program where it launches into playstation plus I think that would be huge for this game. And I do like that they're focusing more on a single-player narrative experience that's focused on tight corridors and kinetic movement as opposed to Absolver, which seemed like the big thing was we're giving you a new form of fighting, multiplayer fighting game, right? And I do think mm -hmm. this could be more successful for them because the mechanics in Absolver were pieces to something that could be really great, and Sifu might be the evolution that slow clap needs to have their skills be appreciated by the gaming audience right so we'll see sifo i think also means master but don't quote me on that that's a, a dope title too 
Next up, this is the thing I wanted more than anything in terms of realistic stuff, Dom, is I wanted a Kena Bridge of Spirits release date. This game's coming to PS4 and PS5. Super dope. I love the The music in this game is incredible. I can't wait to download the soundtrack. Download, what is this, 1995? I can't <laughs> wait to put it on Spotify and listen to it all the time. Um, not only did we get more gameplay and story footage, we got the release date. It's coming August 24th, 2021. I know it's a bummer for some people because they thought it was going to be a first half of 2021 game. I'm just glad it has a release date because yeah. in the back of my mind, I was worried that this could slip because of COVID and a lot of other things. I want to say highlight of this was uh, the ending where there's like this old crippled person walking and they get consumed by this like demonic spirit and become a monster is one of the coolest scenes I've ever seen in a video game trailer because it's kind of jolly. There's some dark moments to this game's trailer, but that was like really dark. You see this person walking and they just get consumed by nature around them. Uh, how did you feel about this whole Kina Bridge of Spirits presentation, Dom? Same way. Like it just, it looked like we, we were really impressed by the first trailer last year. And this, um, this just, it looked even better. I mean, it continued that it didn't disappoint. And uh, like, I, I continue to like really love that art style and the, the aesthetic. And then like you said, the music was really nice. Um, and yeah, it's cool that, um, I don't know, like it would have been cooler if it was May or June. Right. But I mean, August isn't that far either. Like I'm glad it, it got a date. Um, it's a friendly price. so. I know, like, maybe that means. Well, what it's a is the price? I didn't write that down. Forty bucks. Yeah, cool. Yeah, which may mean it's a smaller scoped game, but like, I'm not upset about that at all. Like, uh, you know, last year, like Miles Morales being a, a small, smaller game, um, yeah, that's reflected in the price, sure, but like, that's like easier for me to consume a lot of the time. Like, and like, scope doesn't equal quality, you know. Of course, yeah. Yeah, I'm more worried about the quality, which it looks. From the trailer's indication, it seems to have, but and I I always appreciate when like there, there's a shorter time commitment involved with a lot of experiences because a lot of games take a long time. So I'm I'm not opposed to that kind of stuff if they want to make things shorter. But yeah, I, I'm excited for it. I saw a really funny because uh, you know some people will get the game covers and like Photoshop them, and I saw a Photoshop for this that said I had the picture of Kina and it said Pixar uh. Pixar's Pikmin and the Blind Forest, which I thought was really funny because it's obviously yeah. looks like a Pixar film. Uh, it has the Pikmin element of the little creatures, and then Blind Forest because it has the exceptional art style and music. It's gonna be great. It's one of my most anticipated games this year. I cannot wait to play this game. Also, it's uh, it's PS4 and PS5. I'm not sure if we knew that yep. for sure, but now we do. And I'm not. I think it might. They've not said, or maybe it's been hush-hush enough, but I feel like it could eventually come to other platforms, Xbox. Yeah, oh, who knows? It could be just a second-party partnership where they it's like a time right. thing. And you can totally tell that the studio has a film background because it's so cinematic in its approach. I just can't wait for this game. Even if it's a... St the thing with this game is there's some games for me anyways, Dom, that even if this reviews and gets like sevens, that doesn't deter me from playing it because I know that I'm going to enjoy the experience overall because it's such a good package that interests me from the yeah. art style to the mechanics to the story to everything. So good. Mm -hmm. um, next up, Final Fantasy Remake Intergrade. This is the PS5 version coming on June 10th, 2021. It's going to have 4K optimization, 60 frames per second optimization, new textures, photo mode, plus a lot of other stuff, including fog effects. It's going to be a free upgrade for owners of the game that currently own it on PS4. 
and they revealed this Yuffie DLC. So Yuffie is a character in the original Final Fantasy VII that, and this is coming from somebody who never played the original game, and I've only going off of what I've read. She uh, comes about in the game's narrative later on in the original Dom. So people weren't expecting her till maybe like part two or three of this remake. But apparently they're tying it in in a really dope way where she's entering the game's story at a point in which Cloud disappears. And it's part of this like secondary war story that goes on in the game. It's kind of like obviously secondary to the main plot. But this is going to flesh out a lot of that, which is really cool for players who love the original, but also new people who in the long term, it'll help make the story feel cohesive, right? Which is a problem with a lot of older Japanese RPGs. Uh, so that's really cool. But the way they worded it, it seems like it's going to be exclusive to PS5 because it's going to be available for purchase for those who upgrade to the PS5 version. Excuse me. So it seems like this isn't coming to PS4, which is a bummer, but makes sense. You need to have a reason for people to upgrade and get ready for PS5. I have a bit of a theory here, Dom, that this is coming out June 10th. Uh, and that there's the whole Yuffie DLC thing because this is when it's going to hit PC and possibly Xbox in terms of other platforms. And not only do you want to get more money from PlayStation's platform by charging for the DLC on PS5, but you want to justify a $60 purchase for a year-old game for other platforms. Not that you need to justify it, but obviously it's better for you in the long term. So having this Yuffie DLC for Xbox and PC allows you to justify a $60 price point at launch when it's selling for less on PlayStation 4, obviously. Um, what do you think about... I know you weren't a huge fan of Final Fantasy Remake in general, uh, but what do you think about this theory? And how do you feel about them releasing this DLC when people are just wanting to work on the second part of this remake? I mean, yeah. The First of all, the hilarity that it's a remake of a remake... Um... I, just, I, I hope that wasn't lost on anybody else because I think intergrade whatever the you know okay yeah <laughs> it's, it's remake remake guys let's be honest with ourselves hey and like, it's not it's not no Kingdom Hearts title it's not that bad at least true it's better than most of those that's a very good point I, you're right we should, uh, take what we can get I suppose but um yeah not only that like oh we're doing DLC but instead of the next part but like we're doing the remake of the remake instead of part two um not to say that that's it's necessarily instead of this could be a different team uh focusing on just the remake or like it when like one of the biggest hesitations around this game leading up to it was like well when when is part two and three and how many parts are there how long are we gonna have to wait what is the deal with this weirdly structured game that we don't understand that used to be one game but now it's apparently several um and that all that whole conversation just got lost when the game came out because so many people loved it but i think it's still it's still a legit concern right like what the heck where where's yeah. part two like at least like be transparent with your plans because like as far as i can tell they don't have plans <laughs> it's just they went they're yeah. doing this and, now and they'll get to part two when they get to it whatever it looks like and people might hate to hear this and it doesn't piss me off because i'm not some like incel neckbeard on the internet but uh i don't think this Yuffie dlc was a new project necessarily i wouldn't be surprised if this was developed alongside the base a game cut. yeah yeah and maybe not even cut maybe it was planned to always be dlc but i think it was developed alongside it so it could be cohesive with the game and they mm -hmm. simply moved it to okay let's move this a year out so we can have something to fill the void and then what happens if final fantasy 16 comes out that buys them more time quote unquote for the part two who knows what's going to happen yuffie though i will say in her 
little outfit looks adorable as hell. The new boss fight looks cool. My only concern is I hope that I can access this without replaying the game. Like maybe it's in chapter select. Uh, but when this game or if this game comes to Xbox, I'm playing it again. I here's the thing. We talked about this before. The narrative is really cool up until the the last like two hours of the game, and then it comes, becomes incoherent JRPG nonsense, which I didn't enjoy. But the combat system to me by the game's end is one of my favorite combat systems in gaming. Like it won't touch Soulsborne games for me because obviously God tier, but I would really love to have that combat system where it's a mix of turn-based and, and real-time in other games because I really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, with the use of materia and everything i just had a blast with it um and I, I didn't enjoy it as much early on in the game because I, I found it a little bit like obtuse um but once you get a hang of it and you learn the materia systems and you you kind of get used to switching between characters I, I thought it was really cool and i would love to see other jrpgs try something like it so i would like to never have any other studio ever make that combat system in a game again? <laughs> I hated it. But so you only much. played like what a couple of hours, right? You didn't play a lot of it. I was like almost twenty, I think. Um, twenty hours. I, I played a lot of it, yeah. Um, and I even turned it on to easy mode like halfway through because I'm like, I just don't understand how to do this. It was just weird to me. I'm the minority, of course. Um, no, I don't say you're the minority. I think it's like a fifty-fifty split. I think I don't think it's as beloved in terms of the combat system. The weird weeaboos love the nonsensical story at the end, but yeah, I I just really clicked with the gameplay uh, of it. I, I really enjoyed the combat. That's actually probably my favorite part of that game overall. Like the narrative I can kind of do without the uh, most of it. I'm like, yeah, it's whatever. The combat is kind of what made me stick, which is interesting that you didn't like it as much, but uh, I definitely can like, I'll good on them for like trying to um, innovate in, you know, combat systems. Right. Cause that's something with, especially with JRPGs is like, well, you know, like turn-based, like we technically we should be able to evolve past that, right, to better, more real-time combat. But then, it, you know, a group of people are like, well, no, that's not better. Let's keep it turn-based. And so, like, trying to do new things in between and try different stuff, like, even though it didn't work for me, like, I, I, I can commend them for like taking a bit of a risk and trying, you know, new strategies there. Yeah, I just I love the material system, and uh, as somebody who plays so much Pokemon, like, uh an innovation on turn-based combat is always neat to me because we've talked about how much I love child of light. Right. And that's a play on the turn-based combat system. And yeah. that's, it's really cool. whenever people attempt that. Um, lastly, the last thing I want to touch on the missing pieces. Now the latter isn't as important in terms of it not being there as the former, but we didn't see ratchet and clank rift apart or horizon forbidden West. Dom. And like I said, ladder isn't surprising. That game's set for 2021. I could totally see it being delayed, so I'm not, it's not a shocker we didn't see it. The Ratchet one is weird because it's supposed to be coming out in June. We'll we'll likely totally get a standalone Ratchet. But at the very least, I thought we were going to get a little bit more gameplay or something because it would have been the one major PlayStation release if we didn't get that. Like, How do you feel about both these games not showing up? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I was hoping to see Horizon, but I'm sure. I'm sure we will. I think I can start to see like this uh this strategy they might be going for of like these consolidated or like grouped together um state of plays or like, you know, like chunks uh, or you know, tr shorter trailers, things like that, um and reveals like new stuff and then you know, closer to release of a game if it's big enough and you know, a, a first party game specifically, 
um, they'll have a more dedicated, you know, larger direct focus on the details around that game. So I think that's probably what we'll see for Ratchet in, you know, a few months or so closer to the release, you know, a whole like 20 minute um, demo of a state of play kind of a deal just for Ratchet and Clank. Um, and then maybe in a few, in another few months, we, like, we'll get another state of play like the one we just had that, you know, does another trailer for Horizon, gives a release window for this fall, for example, and then, you know, a month before release, we get another dedicated state of play. Um, I could see them kind of like starting to do things like that. I th- it seemed like they did that. Um, they started that last year with um, Ghost of Tsushima and Last of Us 2 that were like part of other announcements or directs or whatever, not directs, but state of plays, and then, you know, eventually got their own like real deep dive later on. My only worry is like, so games like Last of Us Part 2, Ghosts and uh, Horizon are huge IPs that kind of can deal with not a large marketing lead up. Whereas like Ratchet is kind of on that cusp. It's like Sony's Metro right. where people is it love quite that big. Yeah. Yeah. People love it, but it doesn't necessarily sell all that well. And it's a type of game to me that could totally use a huge marketing lead up of any time you could talk about this game leading up to when it comes out in addition to its own standalone state of play seems like the smarter move, right? That I think that's my concern with Ratchet is because it isn't these larger titles. Like, you know, there's a rumor going on right now that Starfield could pull a Fallout 4 and we see it in June and then it comes out in fall, which would be wild. Be yeah. so happy. That would be everything. And be the you know, year of Jared, too. <laughs> exactly. Horizon Forbidden West, we cannot hear about it until that state of play and it'll be totally fine because it's that size mm-hmm. of game. Same thing with Last of Us, same thing with Ghost. It just with Ratchet, I'm a little bit worried. Uh, and I would yeah. like to see it have that, you know, because I think it could use it more. Um, but it also has the free marketing of the the remake that came out in 2016, coming to everyone on March 1st. So there's Nine? that too. So, um, pretty cool stuff. I like that we're getting into the year where we're starting to see all these announcements. Uh, we have the new game plus Expo coming up soon, which is the Konami. Sorry, not Konami. I wish uh, Bandai Namco and all of those like GRPG developer studios, they're going to have their event. It's this is people that Elden Ring could possibly show up at state of play. I don't know why people keep forgetting Dom. that Elden Ring has a marketing deal with Xbox. Like we're not going to see that on a PlayStation event. Uh, it's just not how it's going to happen. Um, but this new game plus Expo seems like the likeliest thing where we could see it the earliest, if that makes sense. I don't think we're going to see it here. But this is the first event of the year where it's possible, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so who knows? And then there's just, I don't know if you saw this thing where uh, following the closing of the Microsoft acquisition of Bethesda, Jeff Grubb has been saying that we were likely getting a mic- uh, Xbox thing here in March, uh, which is kind of maybe to like celebrate the Bethesda merger or whatever, uh, which would be dope as well. I'm just glad we're in this motion of getting news. We're starting to see bigger game releases, Dom, where we've kind of been in a dry period for a while. Uh, but speaking of games, that's been it for the news of the show. Let's talk about what we've been playing. I wanted to mention two things off the top. Uh, I started Oxen Free, Dom. Uh, I don't know okay. if you've ever heard of Oxen Free. Uh, did you play Oxen Free? No. No. Uh, are you familiar with what it is? No. Just heard of the name. So it's developed by Night School Studio, who did, uh, dang, what's the name of that game where they drink at a bar in hell? That recently came out. You know what I'm talking about? The indie game. I mean, not Hades. No, no, they drink at a bar. It's like focus on them drinking at a, a bar that's in hell. 
man, the name's escaping me. Hold on. It is called, it is called, hold on, uh, stalling for time, stalling for time, After Party. I don't know. Yeah, it, it had a bunch of, it had a really good voice cast of actors. Uh, it didn't review all that well, but people still enjoyed it. The game was focused on like you out drinking the devil in hell or something like that. Pretty neat concept. But Oxenfree was their first major release. So what it is is it's a horror game where you are this group of kids that go to this like island and just weird supernatural shit starts happening. Like some spooky ass shit. But the, the crux of the game is it's dialogue and choice based and it's just kind of working through the complexities of being teenagers where you have a kid who has a crush on this girl. So in conversations, you can like poke fun at the fact that he has his crush on this girl when you're all in a group chat or you can like deflect people making fun of him. There's like another girl who's kind of like an asshole who makes fun of everybody and you can either like confront her or laugh alongside her or ask her to stop. So it's very like dialogue driven in that sense. Um, funny enough, the reason I started playing it is because it was announced it's leaving Game Pass at the end of February. So I knew it was on Game Pass and I had interest in playing it. It's been on my backlog and I looked up how long to beat it. And it's like, oh, it's five hours. So I'm like, I could totally beat that by, you know, the 28th. Um, so I'm about, I think, one third of the way through the game. Really good. The art style is really cool. I would suggest it to anybody if they're interested in dialogue driven gameplay. The supernatural horror side of it is really cool. It's very creepy. They do some effects with the gameplay that kind of catches you off guard, which is really neat. Um hmm. It's a very quaint, neat game that doesn't feel like anything else I'm playing right now. And I was craving something like that, something more narrative-driven that's not necessarily a walking simulator. I'm having a blast with it. It definitely feels like... Do you Have you ever watched Bob's Burgers? No, you never seen Bob's Burgers? It just feels like that classic teenage like adventure movie where these kids go to an area they're not supposed to be and despite there being a horror element to it, it's more about the relationships of the kids, right? Yeah. Um, it's like Stranger Things meets Until Dawn, but with like more of a narrative-driven character interaction-based storytelling element to it. Um, it's available on mobile, too, and on Nintendo Switch. Uh, I looked at the reviews for it, and it ended up getting like nines across the board. Like It reviewed very well. It won a bunch of awards. Um, if you're somebody who's maybe looking for something that's not as action intensive and something more narrative driven, uh, that's a little bit more unique. I would suggest it. I'm having a blast with it. It's something totally different than anything I've played recently. And it's really refreshing. Um, yeah. And funny enough, that's, we talk about uh, sometimes with game pass, like with the ever rotating library of games, does that hurt or help these indie games? And for me, it forced me to play this game because I'm like, oh, it's leaving the service. I have no excuse not to finish it before it leaves, and I'm having a blast with it. So, uh, any questions before I get to my other game, Dom? No, that's interesting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I might do a little more peeking into that. Yeah, it's quite The art style is really cool. The gameplay is like, uh, it's like a 2D platformer, but you're obviously not focusing on platforming. Um, and the art style is really unique. Uh, yeah, check it out if you get a chance. You might be interested in playing it because like i said it's refreshing it's just different gameplay man than you know something highly intensive and action-packed uh the other thing i want to talk about is with all this pokemon chatter 
I had heard rumblings about this game on Xbox Game Pass. Uh, once again, not paid for. This is an ad for Xbox Game Pass. Uh, Monster Sanctuary. And what Monster Sanctuary is, is think of a Pokemon game, Dom. Okay, so the elements of a Pokemon game. You're capturing monsters. You're leveling them up. All of that, right? Put it in a 2D plane, right? Make it pixel art based. Add some platforming elements. And make it so that the focus of the game isn't necessarily evolving your creatures but giving them items like in an rpg and upgrading their moves in an in a level based system so it's really interesting so to compare it the way pokemon works is they gain experience levels they level up and you learn new moves right but the moves are always the same moves they have the same power amount that you can use them the same amount of times nothing changes there with monster sanctuary at the beginning of the game, you choose one of four legendary creatures. It's like a grass toad, a fire lion, a lightning eagle, and then I forgot what the other one is. And the way it works is whenever you level level up this creature, so I have it at level one, Dom, I level up this frog to level two, okay? What happens is I get a skill point. Now, each of these uh, creatures individually has a skill tree. So I could either choose to level up one of his moves, moves to be stronger. I can give him an additional move. I can make it so he has like a buff or a debuff that he could put on his teammates or enemies. So you could, I mean, you could have the same grass toad and you could level up and spec your guy completely different than mine. Like a lot of the core moves are the same, but your upgrades and your uh, strategic elements for battle are different than mine, which is really cool. And the way it works too, is you don't catch the creatures. What happens is how efficient you are in combat leads to a rating on a star system. So the, the least amount of moves you make to defeat enemies and the, the less damage you take and the less, uh, the le just overall, the, like the most efficient you can be in a battle, right? So it takes all of those things into account. After you finish a battle, it gives you a battle report and you can score between one and five stars. Now, the cool thing is, is the drop rewards you get for a battle are determined on your star rating. So if you finish a battle and get a four or a five star rating, you have a higher chance of getting rarer drops from the creatures you defeat. If not, if it's like a one, two, or three star, you get like common items like maybe food or some other crap. The rarer drops for a lot of these creatures are their eggs, and that's how you get that creature. So in order to like get a creature, it's not that you capture it, you have to efficiently defeat it in battle, and then you get the egg. Now the question here is, once I have the creature, why would I ever need more eggs of the same creature? Well, that's a separate mechanic where you basically... Uh, donate all of your eggs to this hub of the game. Uh, to the, this, the hub of this game. And you help build an army. And that's a separate thing. I don't want to get into all of that. But basically, there's a reason to get rid of all of your extra creatures. Um, it's just... It's the closest to a Pokemon game Xbox will likely get in ever, really. Hmm. And it's different enough that it doesn't feel like I'm just playing like a rip-off Pokemon game. And it's neat. The creature designs aren't trying to harp on Pokemon. Like there's not an electric mouse that kind of looks like Pikachu, but not really not even close to that. They're very unique designs and they're pretty creative with the type of monsters they're trying to create in this world. And I'm, I'm actually not sure if there's evolutions or like separate forms, but I'm having a blast with it. As somebody who loves Pokemon, it's once again, a nice refresher until we get these gen four remakes later this year for me to play something new. Um, 
and it's a small indie studio so i want to shout them out because they are trying something cool on a platform where people have been yearning for a pokemon experience and if you have game pass and you like pokemon i definitely say just trying it out and it's one of those games that's like kind of in early access but not really down where they're updating it all the time sure. so monster sanctuary now might be a different game than monster sanctuary by the end of the year in terms of all of the quality of life features and everything having a blast with that too um and i i like hearing about like game pass games um or i mean it just so happens to be game pass like that's what yeah that's the service that brought these up in the first place but like these are the types of games like you know, like you said like get nines and nines or, you know review super well but like still are flying under the radar somehow right so like um even by people like me right who are supposedly pretty tuned in <laughs> but apparently not all the time so it's cool to hear about um games like these um and, and thank you for game pass for like like bringing that kind of that kind of stuff up so and the dope thing oxen free came out in 2016 five-year-old game oh shoot okay monster sanctuary brand new game so i'm talking about two games on the opposite ends of the spectrum for what game pass yeah. provides right really cool mm-hmm. Uh, that's it for me in terms of new things I've been playing or interesting things I've been playing. I hope to finish Oxen Free this week. And Monster Sanctuary, I don't know if the game actually has an end, Dom, but it's one of those games that I'm just going to be hopping into from time to time. Like, I'm not super committed to it. It's just like, sure. do I feel like playing, playing a po- Pokemon? Okay, I'll hop into that. So, pretty much it for me. Anything of note for you in terms of your Neo journey or anything else? No, and that's that's all it's been. It's just a lot more Neo. Um I can only say the same stuff. Like it's just, it's so much fun to play, and it says a lot because I can, I can, I'll continue to make the same complaint about like enemy variety, where it's really like I don't even think I've hit maybe ten different enemy types, maybe oh, not wow. even. Um, and then that you know, like you're going to different worlds or, or like places um that are really different and unique, but then it's the same enemies, just like oh, well, this one's tinted with green because he's got poison damage, and this one's wind damage, and it's you know what I mean. It's really like. Okay, sure. It's it's one of those examples, and they they have the same attack patterns, right? Um, very little variation on that. The bosses are really crazy and different. Those are cool, but um, but yeah, that makes that little that smaller variation and variety of enemies like makes what it should be a really really hard game. Or initially is incredibly difficult. Starts to get easy later on. You know, you know how to beat these guys. Um, might take a few more hits because now they're over leveled and you got to like swap out your armor for something that's better against their particular element or whatever. But um, it gets easier just by the nature of like, oh, I fought this guy a hundred times. I, mean, I know exactly his moveset. I've, you know, it's, um, it doesn't have that same thing of like a Dark Souls game where like new areas, but like, oh, you got to learn how to fight new enemies, right? They're very different. This doesn't really have that as much, um, which like, is starting to I'm starting to notice it more because it's such a long game and there's a lot going on um, as far as as far as depth and that kind of thing. But it's still so much. It still manages to be so much fun. So I think that says a lot about the combat and that it's able to overcome like that lacking enemy variety. But yeah, still having a ton of fun with it. Are you still planning to go to two, or is the lack like the the holes in the fabric kind of deterring you from maybe jumping into that right away? I still plan to go to two. Um, I'll probably um, have a palate cleanser in between. I picked up like a few Switch games. Um, one, uh, a 2D Dark Souls copy, uh, not copy, but inspired game called Blasphemous. I really um, have been keeping my eye on, so I'm going to try that out. And then also Ashen came out on Switch. Um, I have that and haven't really gotten into it yet, which is kind of a 
also again similar to a dark souls game but a really unique art style everything's kind of like pale and gray and like characters don't have faces and everything's simplistic looking but it's um, very similar really to absolver cool. which we talked about earlier yes. today yeah uh, like that. So I had Blasphemous downloaded, and I was planning to start it like a couple of weeks ago, and then it was announced that there was this big new update to it on the 18th of February, so I waited. So I can't wait mm. to hop into that, too. Maybe that could be a game me and you hop into at the same time and check yeah. it out. That'd be pretty dope, especially I'd with our, our uh, attachment to the Soulsborne <clears throat> games. I, I turned it on. I haven't like like advanced really in it, but the, uh, <laughs> the patch notes I first turned it on is like a novel. <laughs> So I think oh, you wow. you were not wrong about there having been having been a big update. And in terms of palate cleansers, there's this game I heard about called Oxenfree. You might want to look into later. <laughs> exactly, that's the kind of thing yeah. like I'm going to be looking for after after Neo, which has been a um, a journey. Uh, thank you guys for listening to this week's show. We really appreciate it. We'll be back next week with episode 221. If you can, please head over to Spotify, Google Play, iTunes. Search "Controlled Interest" will pop right up. Listen to us on any of the podcast services you enjoy. On YouTube, you can search Controlled Interest. We'll pop right up there as well. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the bell notification so you know when we upload new videos. Leave a comment letting me know what you think of the episode. If you want to answer any of the things we talked about. If you have a question for us. If you have an answer for us, that'd be even better. Uh, don't be afraid to leave those. Like the video if you like them as well. That helps us out in the algorithm for YouTube. Over on Twitter, you can follow us at C-T-R-L-I-N-T. That's Controlled Interest Abbreviated. Personally, you can follow Dom at Dom's Oreos. You can follow me at Jared Weich. That's J-E-R-R-A-D-W-Y-C-H-E. We have an Instagram where I try to post uh, every new episode if that's your preferred social media platform outside of maybe Twitter or somewhere else. Uh, that's Controlled Interests. And yeah, that's it for this week. Who knows? At this rate, Dom, we might have that Xbox event next week and we'll be talking about it because be. it seems like we can't go a week at this point without something new popping up. We'll likely have more Stadia news too, for better or worse. Likely worse. Uh, see you guys on the other end and see you guys next week.